history. For thousands of years, humans have been fucking things up. But now, two heroes of the modern age are here to fuck up history. It's Historama. Welcome to Hey guys, welcome back. Um, this is episode three of, of Benedict Arnold, and uh, we're gonna try to cover a little bit more ground this time. Uh, let's just—I feel like you know let's what we shoot, should do. Let's what? let's crack these beers right now, so that I can remember to edit this and I don't have to find it later. Should I just right because right it's, it's always ice. super loud? Yeah, look at that. <laughs> yeah, oh, that clipped, clipped the shit out of me. Clipped it super hard. Now you guys won't have to hear it later. I can just edit that. Hey, so speaking of funny sound noises, um, it's July 2nd when we're recording this, and you might hear some explosions in the background. Yeah, which is like thematically consistent. Yeah, because there's about to be some explosions in this story. Lots of them. So get ready. This is like the the, uh, action movies part of... uh, First action sequence of the Benedict Arnold movie. Actually, you know, we didn't say hi. I'm I'm Mason Mothers Bahite, and that's Michael Goroff. Yeah, we, uh, we didn't say that. Well, we're just we we. I think we're like confident enough that our listeners know who we are. Now. Oh, but yeah, in our neighborhood, you know how some people have like a birth week instead of like a birthday birth or like month. a birth month. It's just like yeah, it keeps. Spreading. This is like the birth month. Of America, mm-hmm. and our neighbors are just going to be sporadically shooting off fireworks for the next six months. Yep, I don't know. Right uh, in a, an apartment complex. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> just the perfect place <laughs> for it. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. So we are continuing. This is part three of the story of Benedict Arnold. Um, Mike, would you care to give us a little recap of episodes one and two? Just yeah. So, um, well, I'll just do the end of two, because one and two, it'll take us like another half an hour to get through. So, so we're, we left off last episode, um, Benedict Arnold had just taken Fort Ticonderoga with uh, Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys. Um, it's a, it was a very you know, strategic fort and, and early on in the war, because it had a lot, not only did it have a lot of armaments, but it was... It was a really the proximity to like Had New some York. Big, beautiful brass cannons. Big brass cannons. Um, that yeah, I mean, it, so it was like a really important fort because it was right, it was right next to New York, and and the British, you know, it was it was to stop the British from invading Can- uh, from Canada to New York. So uh, they took Ticonderoga, and uh, if you remember Ethan Allen's boys, including James Easton and John Brown. They weren't too happy with Benedict's attitude, and um, and they started going to the Provincial Congress in New York and were complaining complaining about him, and um, and that'll come to sort of that that came to uh, not first of all not get Ben control of Ticonderoga, uh, which they gave to to Benjamin Hinman, but it also kind of it also kind of made Ben have to work pretty hard to. Um, to what get um, that to send his notes to Congress saying, "Hey, we want to go into Canada and to convince Congress that it was like a good idea." Well, then I think it just sort of it stunk up the air around Benedict Arnold. It's uh, 
you know, you'll have politicians making some kind of wild and crazy claims about each other, and most of the time they're pretty unfounded, but, you know, you think of, uh, you know, the Clintons and sex scandals, and then, well, those ended up being true. Well, some of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely reminiscent of, like, anytime there's an election when you have something that's not necessarily true about a candidate, but, you know, that sort of negativity surrounding them Really it's like kind that of fart thing. still lingers. Exactly. And yeah. every time you think of them, you think of that stinky fart. And it wasn't theirs, but they, you know, someone pointed at them when you smelled it. Yeah, I mean, they smelt it, but that doesn't mean they dealt it. But, you know, you, you tend to figure if they smelt it, they dealt it. So, <laughs> I mean, that. so, yeah, it, what we're getting into right now is um, post-Ticonderoga, Ben submitted oh. a proposal of plans to Canada uh, to invade Canada, and I think that's where we're gonna pick it up, right? I mean, yeah. uh, what else? What I've, I honestly forgot, like, what we covered in the last one, so... I mean, they had captured Ticonderoga, they had passed him over for command, they sort of offered him the second position, but he wasn't going for it. Yeah. And he's drawn up plans for invading Canada. Which, which Congress accepted, right? I mean, the Continental well, Congress, at first they were like, nah... Well, at first they were freaking out because they were still thinking, hey, maybe we can work this out. We can, you know, now we'll get a little more representation. We yeah, it was sort of showed the king, like, hey, you got to listen to us. But then, you know, they're getting all these reports. Oh, we seized a bunch of forts. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is real. We're really doing this. We're, it's, it's a revolution. Yeah. I mean, and it was definitely split, I believe, like uh, um, New York. New Jersey and Pennsylvania, you know, the congressmen from those states or from those colonies, they were sort of like, we can still work things out. But the New England colonies were like, uh, we got the British in Boston and it's kind of pissing us off. And we just want to. They're just stepping right on our throats with their little belt buckle shoe, buckle shoes. Yeah. And dip tea bagging us with their pantaloons around their ankles yeah. yeah with their actual tea bags <laughs> um yeah so so um yeah i mean i don't know if you want to get us started in the invasion in canada yeah so ben draws up this pretty daring plan to invade canada which at the time is it's mostly wilderness it's you know it really consists of quebec and montreal there are a couple little towns and cities in there but Quebec and Montreal were, they were the meat of Canada. You had those, you had Canada by the balls. Mm. So he sort of drew up this crazy two-pronged attack where one force would take Montreal and the other would move on Quebec and sort of uh, pin it down, maybe take it if they could, but pin it down until Montreal, the forces that took Montreal could catch up with them. And then, you know, they'd take Quebec. And he was really gung-ho and wanted the position of a commander on that. And he, he had submitted this letter to Congress basically saying, look, you know, we have the forts, we've got the men, the British are sort of on the back foot, we should do this now. Yeah, and Ben was pretty familiar with Canada because of, you know, all his trading when he was, when he was like a, strictly a business person. And he knew from, like, his French friends up in those cities who were obviously resentful of the British for going in and 
fucking their shit up during the French and Indian War. So he knew that there was like a lot of resentment in those cities for the British. And he thought that that meant that it would make for just like an easy, easier time going into Canada. He knew that there weren't a lot of like people, uh, there weren't a lot of soldiers at the time in either Montreal or Quebec, um, which would change once they got up there. Yeah, I mean, um, if they had some sort of, like, a modern road system or highway system and they all could have just, like, hopped in a truck and gone up there, we would have taken... Canada would be part of the United States today. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, part of the plan... is hell. Yeah, part of the plan involved uh, a 350-mile hike up from Albany to, to Quebec. Yep. So... Through crazy, uncharted insane wilderness yeah so um i guess to get us started we'll bring uh one important person in i don't know if we mentioned him on the podcast before but um so ben you know he gets the approval of congress after a lot of back and forth which was just kind of another there's just going to be a lot of of little things that congress does that pisses ben off that's just going to kind of add up and add up and add up throughout this story um, one of them obviously being the slight of getting putting offered second in command at Ticonderoga to, for, uh, in, in favor of Benjamin Hinman. So, you know, actually, so when Hinman gets put in charge and Ben sort of takes off in a huff, his unit is put under the command of John Easton. Yeah, which is just, yeah, Johnny, e- or James like, Easton. Yeah, it's like insult to injury. James Easton, yeah, and, and John Brown, I think. They were still, like, working together, right? They were just still, making like... making out, holding hands, and leading soldiers. Yeah, just, just like, playing with each other's ponytails. Um, <laughs> but, just yeah. Just a horrifying mental image. Which, um, yeah, which was pretty insulting, considering those were the guys that sort of were spreading rumors with Provincial Congress, which eventually spread up to Continental Congress. And it was supposed to be, you know, it was like his plan. It was supposed to be his moment, but it sort of turned into this big turd. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're getting ready. Um, He goes, he talks to this guy, Shiler. Shiler is getting, like, you know, he gave an oral report of what he was doing when he was in charge of Fort Ticonderoga, and he was making ready for a British counterattack. He was stockpiling supplies. And this guy, Benjamin Hinneman, he's sending in reports every day that he doesn't have enough stuff. He doesn't have rum. He doesn't have whatever. And uh, Shiler's kind of annoyed when he sees that stuff. And he and a guy named Silas Dean both get together. And they're trying to get... Oh, what is the position? It doesn't matter. Whatever. They're trying to get him... Uh, like a primo position in their invasion force, because Shiler's put in charge of this Canadian invasion. And, I think it's um, like Brigadier General or something like that. It's Yeah, it's something good. He would oversee all of the day-to-day um, supply and tasks of the soldiers. It, it was a primo spot. Yeah, sort and, of like uh, a clerical position. But the thing is... A, strate- a strategic position as well. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, uh, you know, in, in a lot of history, the military is sort of left to its own devices. And in British history, and French history, and German history, and whatever, you know, the, the military siding with a certain political faction meant, you know, that, that was the way the country was going to go. 
But with this new Continental Congress, they really wanted military appointments to remain in civilian hands so that you couldn't have the military running the show. And that's especially important, you know, in these early stages where the military is just about all they have. And um, so he does not get the appointment. And he's pretty upset about that. Well, it's funny when um, what he said after he was slighted at mm. Ticonderoga. That's a really good quote, yeah. He said um, that uh, he would not be second in command to any person whatsoever. And he resigned his post not being able to hold it longer with honor. And that's just like, again, his whole thing with honor and being honored and, and sort of wanting to restore his family name. You know, it's like his ego, I'm not saying he should have stayed at Ticonderoga. It is a pretty big slap in the face. But it's like that sort of attitude and constantly sort of writing those things and, and, and not really taking rejection well. That I, I mean, it's like a, a, it's like well, yeah, he's a smart guy and he's a good strategic thinker in some ways. He's not really a, a smart guy when it comes to the actual battles, which we'll get to. But um, you know, he he is a smart guy. But at the same time, he's got this fucking attitude, man. It's that he attitude. He's just God. a little bitch about everything. Everything he's complaining about, and he's writing letters complaining about things. It's like, man, just accept it, dude. People would like you more if you didn't say that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, whatever. He didn't get his primo little boner spot in uh, Shiler's army, but he did get put in command of, like, the second attack force. You know, so Shiler's leading the force to yeah, Montreal. Yeah, he's part of... He's leading B-team. Yeah. And, uh... So, <laughs> Shiler's going up to Montreal, and Ben's gonna go up and capture Quebec. And... You know, capturing Quebec, he, he's setting out with, uh, I believe it's around a thousand men. Yeah, so him him and Horatio Gates, like, he, he gets help from Horatio Gates, who was, like, the same, at the same rank as Shiler. He was, like, a major general, I think, at the mm. time. Um, you know, that it's like everyone's sort of under Washington, and then, and then it's like Shiler and Gates are sort of like the two big guys at this moment. Yeah, Shiler's leading the Northern Army, and Gates is wanting to. Yeah, um, Gates. So Gates, you know, yep. And and Ben and Gates are pretty close at first. Um, this is this is the guy who helps him select his soldiers. It was seven hundred and eighty-six soldiers for the trip up. Um, so Gates helps him pick his soldiers. And, uh, and, um, they sort of, you know, map out their route and, um, and then they talk about the maps they got. Well, yeah. So that's, that sort of comes into play a little bit later, but, um, while they're like, basically while they're moving up there, they, they leave in the end of September, you know, it's a 350 mile trip on, and, and it's not only a trip that's on like. Yeah, there's no cars, there's no highway, you can't just hop up to Quebec. And normally you would take a boat there, you would go sailing up there, but the British Navy is pretty primo, and sailing around with a bunch of soldiers is not the best proposition. Well, yeah, and I mean, I mean, they, they would, they, there's a river that, um, a pretty important river, the Richelieu River, that sort of goes, cuts through to, up to Quebec. And the, and the thing is, though, that the weather was really bad when they were going up there. 
And so the river was just constantly going the wrong, like the currents were just, it would, I mean, they it was were just going, really crazy. They were going the wrong way already. But then on top of that, it was just like the, it was crazy and they would rise and the, the water level would rise and fall. And it was just like not really, and they didn't really have that many boats. Well, if either. you've ever been whitewater rafting, you would know that, that it, you know, when it rains a bunch, that's when the rapids get really crazy. Yeah. And sort of, uh, you know, so he's transporting all these soldiers, he's transporting all these supplies, he's got 700-some men that he's marching through the wilderness with. That's a lot of food, medicine, weapons, clothing, you name it. So he picks uh, those, those wonderful boats we spoke about in the last one, the flat-bottomed... A bateau. A bateau. Yeah, so they had, and they had 200 of them. And these things were 400 pounds each. So not only did they have 200 of them, so they sail up a little bit from where they're starting out to the mouth of this river where he ordered a ton of bateaus built. But the guy that built the bateaus, because it was such a rush order, used a lot of younger trees and green wood, which with a boat, that's not really great because it's going to suck up a bunch of water. It's going to swell. The boats are going to split apart. Um, these boats are not well suited for rapids, mm -hmm. which they are going into. And as Mike just said, they are heavy as hell. Yes, and, and part of the problem is once when the rivers got to be too much to actually, you know, row the boats or if they got too shallow, people would have to get out of the boat and into the water and carry this shit with fucking ropes. Or they'd have to pull them out of the water and carry them with ropes. And then... On top of that, like they'd have to pull them along with the ropes, and then if the if they were like pulling them along with the ropes, and they started scraping the rocks on the bottom of the river, then they'd have to actually put these things on their backs. They're four hundred pounds each. Not counting all the supplies and bullshit that yeah. can't get wet. Yeah, not the Donkey Kong style barrels that they are keeping all their food in, which were made pretty much out of the same stuff as the boats, and so when those were in the water, those started warping. And all of the brine and stuff that kept the food fresh and edible starts leaking out the size of the barrels. And now you got a bunch of rotten food that's going bad. You're just hanging out in the woods with a bunch of rotten pork, carrying a 400-pound giant wooden square. Yeah, it's 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 like it, it very it pretty rough going. It very quickly turned into like a bad situation. It wasn't just like because the trip was so long wasn't like the first like 200 miles were good and it was like pretty bad the whole right time. from the start yeah. yeah and uh and on top of that to get back to the maps that you mentioned earlier on top of that oh, yeah. i forget how far up they got to um they got up to um uh yeah in october so it's end of september that they leave october is when all this shit starts hitting the fan like immediately almost immediately and then they're they're sort of making their way up there, and then they realize that they... So the guy that they bought the, the maps from was this guy named Sam, Samuel Goodrich, and um, they, they found out that Goodrich was a loyalist and had, like, just completely forged the maps. The maps were not right at all. So they had to send out, like, scouting missions to sort of figure out what the actual pathway was before they could even, like, really start moving up. Man, how bad would you want to beat that guy's ass when you got back? Yeah, I mean, if I was one of the guys that was carrying, you know, in the in the party, that like one of the four guys that had to carry a 400-pound boat on my back. Well, leaky, rotten pork brine yeah. is just dripping down your face. In October, 
being in the fucking water in Canada, like, probably wanting, probably dying of pneumonia without even realizing it. You know, that, that, yeah, I would probably want to beat that guy's ass right, pretty Goodrich, hard. You know, what the fuck? Yeah, it's on, I'm going to beat your ass. It's such a dick move, too. Man, I so, mean, I um, get it, but it's like, <laughs> who are you really helping, you know? You're just making it bad for yourself. It, it is kind of funny, though. I mean, it's, you know, switches the sign <laughs> Albuquerque's the other direction. I mean, he's definitely putting himself out there. I, I don't know what happened to him. They didn't really got back to that. I, I don't know. He probably just got murdered immediately. Yeah, I mean, he probably didn't last that long. Um, Born <laughs> shit like that. Right? Um, so one thing that's kind of nice, though, is uh, Mike mentioned that they had scouts with them, and they had this all-American badass Daniel Morgan with them, and he was leading sort of like an elite group of Virginia woodsman, sharpshooter, badass, buckskin motherfuckers. Yeah, they have, they have like four divisions, and you know he had a leader of each division, and Morgan was the leader of probably like the... Best division, I, I think you could say. Like, they, they were like really cool light infantry snipers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you'd say they were the best. Well, but they well, were definitely... Ben had his own division, and then uh, under that was sort of like Morgan's division. Yeah, they they were definitely like some primo troops for sure. Yeah, and they yeah they were out clearing paths, scouting ahead, and I mean. Oof, that would just be so brutal going down, you know, you realize three days later, oh, this is not the right way, this river is a dead end. Yeah. But, you know, shit moves slower back then. No highways, can't get cheap travel spirit. Seems. Yeah, especially if you're just, like, walking through the woods, too. <laughs> like, the woods suck to walk in. I like walking in the woods, but not when I'm carrying a 400-pound wooden boat. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't get the woods thing. Well, yeah, Benedict Arnold telling me to hurry up, like spanking it, me. If there's, like, a, a nice path in the woods, <laughs> but, like, I'm not gonna go walking in the river for, like, a fun time, you know? Like, that's just not a great way to get around. You're just, you're not adventurous. I'm not an outdoorsy person. No, you're That's not. for sure. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't think I've been outdoors in Today. the last three days <laughs> except to go to Chipotle yesterday. And that was just like this. It was like a long, <laughs> dangerous expedition. <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to make it Oh, my brine was leaking out. <laughs> so, yeah, this trip up there really sucks for them. It's, uh, you've got guys getting sick. Um, there was one story I read that they shot a moose, and they cooked it up super quick, and everybody that ate it got so sick that they had to, uh, just create, like, a weird little temporary field hospital until they could send them all back. I don't even like eating chicken if it's still just, like, a tiny little bit of pink. I, it's so hard to tell when chicken is ready to eat. I get paranoid <laughs> about salmonella. I'm not going to eat a fucking moose that someone just was like, you know, what, what's it called? Seared a little bit over a campfire. It was rare. <laughs> Medium rare. It was blue rare. Blue at, rare, At yeah. best. At best. And you know those guys didn't know what they were doing. They the moose were was carving still... out weird pieces. Yeah, they're not. They don't know what part of a moose is a, is the edible part. I yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> Neither would I. The moose is still crying on the ground as it's getting carved up because they didn't even kill it at that point. Uh, do you have any fun details about the journey you'd like to throw in, or should we just blast through this? Well, the one thing I will say is that uh, I, I kind of want to give Ben credit at this point a little bit. Um, 
like sort of near the end of the journey because of all the provisions getting fucked up, all the brines leaking out. Yeah, guys are bad. like starving. It's They're starving. Cold as hell. And uh, the two divisions in the back started like so. There was like Ben and Morgan's divisions were sort of leading the way, and then the two divisions in the back were were like um, there were the two divisions in the back, and the two div- the leaders of both of those divisions were sort of like. We should just bail. This sucks. Like, why are we doing this right now? Their their guys didn't have any food. It got to it got to a point where it was so bad that they were like eating their own clothing because that was the oh, only yeah, like thing. Boiling shoe leather. Boiling shoe leather, like eating cloth and shit, because that was like the only thing that there was that they could like sustain themselves on because all of their food had gone bad. So um, and they also lost all of their fishing equipment. Like, when the bateaus were flipping over early on, they lost, like, all of that. Yeah. I was thinking that earlier. It's like, why didn't... They're on a river. Just just fish. fucking fish. I mean, so Morgan's Morgan's troops, you know, those guys were out hunting and, and bringing food back. But it wasn't going to be enough to, like, feed, you know, almost 800 guys. Yeah, and, you know, they're constantly trying to keep the group moving. You know, you can't just, like, set up camp for a while and forage yeah i mean they keep going there's a schedule to keep well especially because the winter was coming in and trying to make that trip up in the winter when there's like snow and and uh you know canadian cold like that's gonna suck that would suck even more than what what they're already going through so this so the two the two division leaders are talking and they're like we should just go back to albany to the camp to shiler's camp Fuck this! And the one one of them decided to actually do that. This guy Roger Enos. So they he just takes his dudes and dips, um, and fifty of them die on the way back because they don't know what the fuck they're doing and they don't have any food. And and then when Enos gets back to camp, he gets arrested and he's um, he's convicted of treason, I believe. Roger Pinos. Fifty of his guys die. Meanwhile, while this while that while that Joker is going back and and losing all these men and then getting arrested for abandoning a mission. Ben sends all these... Ben, ben personally pays... He, he sends, like, a few guys to go to the nearest town to get a bunch of supplies and cattle. These guys are buying, like, actual livestock and bringing that shit back into the woods to meet up with their group. And, he, and Ben's paying for all this stuff out of his own pocket, and I do... I am going to bring back that saying that was on his shop sign, Sibitotique, which means... Um, uh, good for one, good for all, or something like that, which is basically his philosophy is like, hey, you know, I'm gonna, I'm spending money now, but it's for the good, for the good of the troops, and if the troops are good and this goes well, then that's gonna be good for me. Mm. So, it's it's just ironic that this guy Enos leaves, and then, like, and then Ben comes in and saves like seven hundred lives almost by like getting all this livestock and, and, and getting all their food and, and sort of saving the mission and saving a ton of people's lives. Yeah, all these starving soldiers are marching forward and then out of nowhere they've got a bunch of dudes driving cattle and uh, carrying chickens and whatever to eat. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and they ate their dogs too. They were eating their dogs at the time. <laughs> Cartridge boxes. I feel like you gotta be real hungry to be like, man, this cartridge box is just looking great. I don't even know what that is. I mean, it's just a box, right? Yeah. For their ammunition. I guess. I mean, (laughs) but like, yeah, dog, they eat their dogs, man. (laughs) Fuck. A lot of animals will start dying in this, in this story. Um, we'll get to that, but 
But then you gotta imagine when, like, Ben arrives, um, with, like, cattle and mutton and tobacco, like, that's just, like, that's That'd just be the you most... and me would just make a beeline for the tobacco. <laughs> that, you and me would, that, that would be like if we were in a desert starving to death in the Sahara and then all of a sudden the Chipotle was just over the bend. Like, that would be the best thing that had ever happened to us. <laughs> I, that's also hey Chipotle you should definitely sponsor this podcast right <laughs> because because um, we eat there a lot <laughs> yeah you don't even have to pay us just give us like a card just give us like coupons for free burritos we love that shit <laughs> um yeah so so basically um they left on September 23rd um Ben got them all that supplies on November 2nd and then on November 9th is when they arrived to Point Levy which is across the river from Quebec. It's this sort of little smaller town. Yeah. Where they can sort of start setting up and planning for the attack. And I think at this point, Shiler was already sort of in Montreal. Yeah, he... Uh, well, Shiler actually got a nasty case of gout. But yeah, he wasn't in Montreal, necessarily. He was home with the gout. Yeah. And can you I, explain what the gout is again? I, I forgot. It, it's just like a big, like arthritic bump, right? Yeah, yeah. It's something to do with uh, too much sodium in your system, and it, like, crystallizes into, like, painful polyps or something. I don't know how I don't have gout then. Because I eat so much salt. I mean, I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure... I think I saw a King of the Hill where Bobby Hill got gout, and that's where I'm getting my information. Uh, well, I mean... <laughs> He's you eating know. at a Jewish deli too much. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, that was true. <laughs> I definitely have gout. I feel like my whole body's probably just one big gout Callum. It would explain a lot. <laughs> I'm just like, a, I am literally a talking, walking gout Callum. That's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, but but that's because, I mean, it makes sense because, like, all the brine and shit that they used to keep things fresh. Oh, yeah, yeah, everyone was just pounding salt. Yeah, it was just like, oh, that's what brine was, was just salty but, uh, water that kept everything from spoiling. So the Montreal campaign went very successfully. They took the town, uh, not a ton of fighting, and... The, like, some of the soldiers and the actual military governor of Canada were in Montreal, but they sort of took off when they saw the Americans showing up, and yeah, they guy, started... Uh, guy Carlton, yeah. who was the mayor, or the governor of Montreal. Yeah, he was, I, I don't know if they combined both of them or not, but he, yeah, he was kind of like a big wig in the British military in Canada. Mm. And it's actually, they're saying that he was one of the best generals of the war. Well, yeah, he, he plays an important part throughout all this entire, um, like, Canadian episode in Ben's life. He's sort of like ben, Ben's main antagonist throughout this whole, this whole episode. But, uh, yeah, so he takes off, and he starts heading towards Quebec with his guys. America takes Montreal. This yeah, cool. woo, we had it for a we, minute. We could have had it all. And, uh, you know, Ben's guys are looking across the river at where they need to be to attack Quebec. And it's super stormy, so they can't cross safely quite yet. Yeah, that's, that's part of the problem because um, they, they were sort of like showing up, the Brits, with like cannon fire. They were just like, they were just firing cannons off a little bit just to fucking spook them. Because the guy that was in, the guy in Quebec... Um, the governor of Quebec, I forget what his name is. McLean? Yeah. 
He um, he wasn't really like he wasn't a military guy. He wasn't a military guy, so he didn't really <laughs> know what to do. He didn't really know how to assess the situation. Um, and then you have like Ben's guys are like firing cannons. They're like getting snipers to sort of freak out the Brit- British soldiers that were. And, on and it's the kind coast. of working. Like they're sort of harassing the town, and it's sort of working. But the main body is still stuck across the river. And Ben's not really wanting to chance it. And this sort of creates an issue because... Well, and he's also waiting for um, Shiler... Not, not quite yet, but that he is waiting for Shiler. Well, yeah, because, I mean, he that, that was the whole thing, though, wasn't it? Was that they were going to, like, sort of all meet up in Quebec and have this big force that was going to move up there. That, that was the end all, but he was sort of trying to take it before he got there, and he actually requested surrender a couple times, mm. and each time the guy shot it down, but he was doing a lot of stuff trying to, uh, you know, make it seem like there was a bigger force there than, it really, than there really was, mm. but, you know, he couldn't really get across this river until the storm died down. Unfortunately, that bought Guy Carlton and his forces from Montreal enough time to slip into the city. Yeah, not even those guys, but then another like um, another sort of backup crew was coming in also. Yeah, the HMS Vulture yeah. so shows up and it unloads about 200 British regulars into the city. Or may, I think it might even have been more than that. Yeah, but, I think it was more, a little bit more than that, yeah. You know, it really, it starts beef. You know, this city's defenses are getting more formidable by the day. The leader is replaced by a much more competent military leader. They have, instead of just regular town garden militia guys on the walls, they've got hardened British soldiers there. They've got guns. They've got ammo. Um, they've got sailors from the actual ship. Who those guys? You know they're not like soldiers, but they're you know they're tough guys. They're salty seamen, just all over Quebec. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, Ben's yeah he's harassing them. He's trying to get them to surrender, and the forces just keep getting built up. And he realizes, well, shit, I can't get in right now. I gotta dig in. I gotta lay siege to the city and wait for reinforcements. So that's when, um, who's the guy that, Montgomery. Montgomery, like, yeah. Yeah, was, um, was Shiler's replacement. So they, those guys start moving up. But um, it, it's like 150 miles from Quebec to Montreal, so it, it takes a minute. I mean, yeah, so by the time that, um, by the time that, you know, those guys sort of got up there, that what, what was originally like a few hundred British troops in Quebec... Turn into like a turn into like one over a thousand British troops after Carlton and uh, and McLean had gotten up there. Yeah, the the governor was this guy named Cramahay or Cramahy, a guy in Quebec, and he was sort of like McLean was McLean was one of the um, the generals. Uh, that was I think he was the HMS Vulture or whatever that guy. So yeah, I mean that, so so basically Ben's waiting. The, the snow starts coming in, it's turning in, into December, and, uh, and that pre- presents a whole other set of issues, because um, the way that enlistments worked at the time, they were like a yearly thing, and you know, you, you enlisted for a year, and at the end of the year, 
a lot of those enlistments were going to start running out. So, like, this was, um, this was, what was it, 1776, right? Or Right around there, yeah. So you had, um, you know, the end of 1776 was coming along, and you had a lot of guys that were not going to have to be in the troops. I mean, they were, they were going to be able to get home. And they just had this long, nasty march to get there. You know, everybody was pretty stoked to get out of there. Yeah, they weren't, like, super excited about about uh so so he's dug in this guy montgomery arrives with a bunch of soldiers and they need to make their move fast and i've got a really cool quote that sort of sums up what they're up against yeah you read that quote while i go get another beer but it's yeah it's pretty long so yeah mike's gonna go grab the beer um let me get this quote ready to go all right to understand the difficulties the Americans faced in an assault, it is necessary to know what the fortress city was like. Quebec stands on a high rock whose blunt point sticks out into the St. Lawrence. It was protected against attack from the plain behind it by a massive wall from which protruded six pointed bastions mounted with heavy cannon. Behind three gates in the wall were small forts also mounted with guns. The St. Louis Gate, nearest the center of the wall, was the entrance for the road from Montreal. Some 160 miles away, at the southeastern end of the wall, steep, rocky Cape Diamond fell away to an almost sheer drop of over 300 feet to the lower town. A collection of a few houses, warehouses, wharves, and a small church huddled on the little the little strip of land at the foot of the rock. Running across the plain from Cape Diamond, the wall dipped down a fairly steep incline and curved around to end at the palace gate. From this gate, a right... You know what? I'm just gonna fucking stop this quote now. What we're getting <laughs> at is this place is a fucking fortress. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's yeah. got a huge wall with these badass crazy cannons on it. Yeah, just big-ass, spiky this, log walls. And yeah, it's built on this giant rock that sticks out over a river, and on top of that rock is where all the important, you know, the city hall, uh, the fortress, the military garrison, the governor's house, the bishop's palace. Yeah, they didn't have cool repelling gear. Yeah, this shit was like the colonial version of those fortresses you see in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, yeah. And not only are there more guys there... But, you know, they're behind these killer defenses, and the Americans are like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to take it. So they decide that they're going to launch a midnight attack in the middle of a fucking blizzard. Midnight attack, that sounds like a really fun sort of like, you know, like a cool movie screening series that you go to where they play like Blade Runner and shit like that. Like Flash Gordon. That would, be, fun. that would be awesome. That Someone should fun. do that, and they should give us free tickets, because it was, you heard it here first. But make sure you do it in L.A., because that's where we live. And don't tell anybody. These, these things have a nasty habit of filling up, and it's too crowded. You know. Not cool. Loses all its cred. Yeah. But anyway, no, so these guys are getting ready for this, like, insane midnight assault. It's going to be two-pronged, and Montgomery is going to lead the main force around one side 
and it's this tiny little ledge. They're both they're attacking the lower town because the only way to get up to the top of this rock is to take the lower town. Did you explain the lower town and the upper town, like what the difference was? I yeah, and I got the lower town in in the half of that quote I read, and then the upper town was the bishop's palace and stuff. Yeah, and like all the like. The, the shit that mattered. Yeah, yeah, if you captured the upper town, you had the town. The lower town was just, like, the ghetto. Yeah. But, uh, so that you have to, you know, you have to get through these defenses, take the lower town, take this narrow, winding road up to the upper town, and then you've kind of, you're there. You know, that's, you gotta fight and grab that spot, and then you've won. Yeah, not, like, not, like, the best approach like, it, it's just, like, there's no good way to approach this town if you're trying to take it. Because you got, like, guys in the, behind the walls, behind barricades with fucking cannons and shit. You've got guys on the walls with guns. You, you're kind of, like, funneling all of your troops into one area. And okay. it kind of sucks. That's, like, not a good position to be in. But they were going to try it anyway. I mean, at that point... 350 miles, what, are you going to turn around and be like, well, we didn't really know what it looked like, I guess, so... I mean, you can't turn around at that point. You but gotta I, go I feel for like it. They, they knew they were outnumbered, they knew they were outgunned, but, it, you know, Benedict's urging this attack. This goes back to his, like, reckless, insane attitude yeah. towards fighting. I mean, this is especially where his recklessness starts to show up. Oh, yeah. So they're doing this two-pronged attack. Montgomery's going to lead one force around this narrow strip, and uh, basically Ben's doing the same thing from the beach on the other side, and it's going to be a pincer movement into the lower town. They're hoping that they pincer. can sort of sow enough confusion that the numbers difference won't, you know, it won't be as big a deal. And so Ben is just, so his idea is, okay, I'm going to put together this tiny little group of about, 25 men. So stupid. He called it the Forlorn Hope. And like, the what, idea is they're going to make a like, path. This is not a good name. You got 20 guys that are going into a right? city name with like a... 18. Name it the 18. Name it the Flaming Eagles. You know, I, I, don't, I don't prescribe to the secret or any of that shit, but there is something to be said about the power of positive thinking. And if you're calling your, your, your like elite squad Forlorn Hope... That's just, like, not a good... That does yeah, not set a good precedent. <laughs> yeah. Your so, mind is not in the right place, I think. The, the, the Forlorn Hope, who was led by Benedict Arnold, like, one of the commanders of this battle, is going to be, like, the first dude running in. Yeah, that's... Not also, a great idea. Not a good idea. No. So, the idea is, these guys are going to beat a path through the snow and start, you know, sawing their way through these barricades, and eventually blasting their way through with these tiny cannons they had. Because they didn't have, like, big artillery with them. They, you know, they could only take the stuff they brought up the river. Yeah. And, like, the first defenses that they run into, like, the first manned wall, they're setting up their cannon, and, like, 20 dudes up on the wall open fire, and guess who gets hit first? Good old Ben. Good old Ben leading the charge. Uh, musket ball hits a rock and shatters, and one of the largest splinters from the musket ball goes right through his calf. Yeah, which leg was it? His left leg? Um, it, it was, yeah. I mean, it was like, it was 
this leg is going to become, like, almost its own main character in the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, but, yeah, yeah. He got, like, it fucked him up. It fucked the leg up. He was down. Yeah, he's, like, bleeding in the snow. He's still trying to issue orders. He's calling for, uh, you know, ladders to scale the wall, and he's kind of losing consciousness, and his guy's, uh, you know, Daniel Morgan is actually with him. And Daniel Morgan's like, get this guy the fuck out of here. Take him back to the main forest. I'll take over. And so they put this ladder on the wall. Daniel Morgan scurries up it super quick, dives in, and three seconds later comes flying down the wall and just, boom, lands in the snow. <laughs> and everyone's just looking at him like, oh, shit, are we supposed to go up there? Because they just, oh, my God. And then Daniel Morgan just pops up, climbs up the ladder again, and according to reports, screams like an Indian and dives into the fray, <laughs> disappearing into a cloud of musket smoke. And everybody's like, all right, I guess it's on. Daniel Morgan's leading the charge. Which, like, as badass as that is, also not necessarily a smart move. Send now, somebody else. Because now, yeah, he's leading the troops now. The guy that just got his leg blown to shit, uh, you know, his, his, like, calf bone just shattered. Was bec- it was because he was the leader of this whole thing, and he ran in there first like a dumbass and got shot. And then the next yeah, like guy the that's supposed to be the leader. Too. <laughs> yeah, I know. He made it to the first battle. Like, that's not a good, like, you should at least make it to, like, the second battle. At least make it inside. Or at he least, like, even... the second little fight within, like, the... Yeah, the second skirmish, like, at least. what the hell? He didn't even get into the lower town. At all. Well, Daniel Morgan actually did. No, Morgan did. Oh, yeah. Ben did. Yeah, so Daniel Morgan is now leading the Forlorn Hope, and he, you know, he clears the wall, he gets his boys in, he gets the rest of his forces into the lower town, and he's waiting waiting for for Montgomery. Yeah. Well, what happened to Montgomery? Well, Montgomery, so he's advancing... You know, and it's very slow going, very cautious. They're clearing the barricades. They're sawing through, you know, different uh, barricades and gates and whatever. Yeah, and so he's thinking, well, right? And he got inside. Yeah, yeah. He's thinking this is going intact, really right? easily. <laughs> and he's he's slowly moving up, moving up. Things are looking good. Not a ton of resistance. And um, he sees some guys in the distance. And as legend has it, he raises his sword to sound the charge. When some trap doors fling open on a nearby house with two cannons loaded just full of buckshot and metal shrapnel and yeah, it's just like garbage nails and it's trash, just like hard garbage that they threw in these. Yeah, cannons. they touch off these cannons and they just take his head clean off. <laughs> God damn! Like it's gone. Boom! Fucking Montgomery has no head. You and know, you tend to think. I mean, at least I do, of, like, the munitions that we have now that our military uses, these big fucking giant bullets, scary-ass bullets, like, that just tear through shit, and you look, and then you compare that to, like, musket balls and stuff, it was like, I mean, that's like a rock, right? I mean, this is like getting hit by a rock, you know? But this shit is brutal. Like, that's brutal as Oh, hell. yeah. No, his head was just pulp. My favorite part is that they would, they had like one guy made a painting of him later and it was like, like an honorary painting and he's just like lying in the snow with his like 
hands over its chest. He's got a little hanky over a tiny bullet hole. That's... Tiny little bleeding bullet hole, and his second in command's just cradling his head. No. It's like, there wasn't any head. Yeah, there you was could've... no head to cradle. It <laughs> yeah. would just be soup in your hands. It was just fucking mush. It was, it was... just fleshy mush. So his, uh, his officers with him, after seeing his head just taken clean <laughs> off, they retreat immediately. Yeah, I can't. I don't blame them. I mean, the smart thing to do, honestly. What I want to know is why are Ben Arnold and Montgomery like the first two guys to go down? And then, yeah, I know. Like, we were just talking about this with Ben, and it just happened to Montgomery. Just, like, stay back. Send the pig farmer. (laughs) Send one of the cooks. (laughs) Yeah. They don't value human life. I mean, it's not like those guys deserve... It's not like Ben and Montgomery are less deserving of death. It's that they got a job to do, and that's to tell everyone else what to do. And if they're not there to do that, then that's when you got Morgan and his crew of, like, fucking coonskin cat-wearing motherfuckers, you know, bows and arrows and shit like that. That's when you got those guys just sitting around with their thumbs up their asses in, in the lower town, not knowing what to do. You know... Montgomery, or Morgan, should not have gone in there. That was a bad idea. He should probably have waited. So, Morgan, he's in the lower town with all his guys. Montgomery just got his head blown clean off. His forces are in full retreat. And Morgan's just sitting there, like like Michael just said, with his thumb up his butt. He's looking for his prostate. And... British soldiers are just coming from all directions now. And this guy... You know, there's this really crazy battle, and they keep telling him, like, hey, you know, surrender, you're surrounded. And uh, I guess he refuses a whole bunch of times before they're like, look, save some of your guys' lives. Like, be reasonable. So he surrenders. Well, yeah, it was so... The the, old, the person that got him to surrender was, like, this, this like, uh, priest, priest or preacher, some whatever. A holy man. He was a, he was a holy man. Oh, there's a... Yeah, I wonder if that got picked up. Um, and this, this, the priest comes in, he's like, listen, you know, you can surrender to me, you know, it'll be an honorable way to surrender. I don't really understand, like, how that's more honorable. You know, everybody had their fucking panties in a wad over honor. I think that's part of why Arnold and Montgomery got hit first, is, you know, it's the whole honor of being the first guy going in. Yeah. I don't even know what honor means. What does it mean? You know, I think that's what's wrong with America right now. <laughs> yeah, we just don't know. Nobody has any fucking honor. We're all just online writing horrible things about each other. I mean, yeah, that is that is true. It's pretty sick. So, not to get all, like, not to get all, uh, what's it called, all preachy about it, but it is, um, that, that is kind of like a weird thing. But then again, look at what Hunter got these idiots. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, uh. A missing head. <laughs> yeah. An open throat hole and a bunch of retreating soldiers. A busted up leg. It's like your first your first big command and you blew it. He really I mean, he really kinda did. So the American forces, they sort of uh, they're falling back and they go back to their original positions sieging the town. Well and that's cause uh fifty were killed. And um, 36 were wounded. And they killed like 10 British people. Yeah, they killed almost no British people. And two-thirds of Ben's column 
his like the his group of guys, two thirds of those guys got captured. So that's so that, many. That's a guys. big failure. That's a lot of guys to like let sit, hand hand over to the British. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. The British lost uh, seven guys died, and they only eleven got wounded in this whole thing. Oof. I mean, and they didn't capture any British soldiers. I don't think. I doubt it. Because they ha- they were all they were all up. running away. Yeah. They were all just going, like, I'm just going to go down the street in Quebec and just chill. (laughs) So Ben, you know, he's laid up, but he's still running the show, and he continues a siege of the city. He's writing to Congress saying, oh my God, we need reinforcements, we almost got them. He's asking for a lot of guys, though. He is, and they sort of grant the request, but they don't really show up in time. Yeah. So he asked for five thousand. They actually sent six. They actually ordered six thousand, but they didn't ha- send enough money to the people that went out and recruited soldiers to pay for all of them. And they also didn't send him a new commander because Morgan got captured. So he didn't have like another person that was. And Montgomery got his head blown off. Yeah. And Shiler had gout. Like nothing was going right. And, and Ben actually, so Ben, he's not, that Congress isn't actually, they're like, yeah, we can get 6,000 soldiers. And Ben's like, great, you got the money for that? And they're like, nope. And so he's like, oh, okay, well, fuck, shit. That sucks. So he, 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 he calls down on the guy in Montreal, this guy Wooster. He sends him a letter. And he's like, hey, can you spare any guys? And I forget what Wooster's deal was, but he was like, mm, no, I'm good. I mean, he was like a few guys, so he sends him like a thousand guys or something like that, um, and and that's it. When you need like so many more to capture a town like that, it's because it's not only like the amount of people that are in Quebec at the time, but it's like it's a giant fucking fortress, and you need like way more guys than they have just to get in there, let alone take it. Well. I guess from what I was reading, this guy Wooster was kind of a cranky old bastard in the first place, but he was also sort of worried that if he denuded his forces in Montreal too much, there might be some sort of an uprising, and they would just take over. So, you know, why chance it when you could just ruin the entire military operation by not doing anything, right? I mean, (laughs) I I get Wooster's position entirely, and and Wooster actually ends up being the guy that's like, that Ben actually asked to be like, hey, can you come up here and, like, lead my troops in Quebec and bring some more people up there? So Wooster goes up there, and he he just starts shitting on Ben, the, the whole Quebec operation, like, immediately. And Ben's, like, trying to tell him, it's like, hey, so this is what we need to do. We got to do this. And Wizard's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, get back to your bed. Yeah, just Lindy. why don't you lie down? Um, I don't think I'm going to take military advice from a commander that was literally the first person up there and literally the first person to go down in this battle. And he lost all his guys. <laughs> and lose almost two-thirds of your guys. I mean... To his credit, though, he was laying siege to a town that had, uh, Quebec had way more soldiers than him, if they would have just walked out to fight, they would have driven Ben's forces immediately, but he was constantly tricking them and doing all sorts of shit to make them think that he had this big force out there. Yeah, I mean, he kept just, like, rotating people around, 
All right, all right. Now you change shirts and uh, you guys switch hats. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of it's kind of goofy, but uh, I mean, it makes sense. Like, how many of those guys probably needed glasses that didn't get glasses? Like, the only time you could get glasses in the 1770s was when you were like Ben Franklin and you had a ton of money and you were going to France all the time banging a bunch of old women. And you stole their glasses. <laughs> stole their glasses. You know, there's, it's like, you know, I, it's kind of funny, but it, it worked because it was like, we don't have like, they, there's no night vision goggles or anything like that at the time. You know, it's just a, oh, it's a bunch of snow and a bunch of dudes that are all wearing the same shit. And they all sort of, they're all dirty and sick looking and they all look the same. So, I mean, you know, swap out a couple of hats, get some props, you know, you get like a giant, you know, you know, candy cane sort of <laughs> thing. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of silly, but it, it definitely worked. But I mean, that's like a small victory as far as I'm concerned when it comes to like Ben and Quebec. Well, and it's about to go south real quick. So... Up until now, you know, the Americans sort of had the element of surprise. We took, you know, we were knocking British forces around down in the colonies. We were taking forts. We took Montreal. But now we're laying siege to Quebec, and the British sort of know, okay, it's on. So they start sending reinforcements in a big way under uh, gentleman Johnny Burgoyne. Yeah, and he on. arrives with like 7,000 guys. And when Worcester sees that, he is just, you know, he's, fuck this, I'm out. And so they just start hightailing it back to Montreal. Well, so, but before that, Ben had, Ben went back to Montreal. Because when Worcester was going, going around his, yeah, like, whole Yeah, Worcester told him to shut up, and he just ran away crying his yeah, eyes Yeah, he out. said, um, he said, had I been able to take an active part, I should by no means have left the camp. But as General Wooster did not think proper to consult me in any of his matters, I was convinced I should be more of, of, of more service in Montreal than in camp, which is in a letter that he sent to Philip And then he Shiloh. just ran away crying into his like pudgy little, little hands. God, I hate this guy Wooster sometimes. So mean. <laughs> no. You know, and, I, and if I was Shiler, like, like saddled with gout, and I got this letter... After getting all those letters at Ticonderoga from that guy Hinman, who was always complaining about everything, and I thought, hey, you know what I like about this Benedict Arnold guy? He's always got a great attitude. And then I get this letter while I got a big old fucking gout, you know, thing on my foot, and I'm gout a, bubble, a little gout bubble on my foot, and I'm and I'm reading this letter by this guy who I thought was some was like good and wouldn't complain. And he's he's getting all mad because he got shot in the leg, and this other guy doesn't want to listen to him because he's an idiot. I would start kind of I would be a little bit annoyed. I'm like, I got gout, dude. I don't I don't want to hear your shit right now. Just gouting out. <laughs> yeah. Just gouting out down here. Can't handle your problems. <laughs> yeah, I got gout, man. But yeah, so the British are reinforcing in a big way. And uh Worcester is forced to pull back to Montreal and this is where things start to get a little sloppy. I mean, if you can imagine, getting there was a real pain in the ass. Now, imagine trying to get all of these guys out of there, plus you have the British just chasing you now. Well, yeah, and, my, and it's like, there's more guys up there now than there were when they started. Yeah. There's more shit to worry about. And as they're retreating, they're running into reinforcements that are going to join them. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's constantly causing all Such of these issues. Yeah. Um, let me see. I've got something written in the sides of my notes here about uh, Mr. Butterfield. Butterfield. That was the guy that surrendered all the dudes without fighting. Oh, yeah. That was, a, that was, um. That's like right now. Yeah. Because they're all falling back. All right, so it was... That was uh, at Fort Ann. Was it the Cedars? And then... No, it was, but then uh, they they went to Fort Ann. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They, 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 <laughs> Are we talking about the Cedars? We're talking about the Cedars in the vicinity of Fort Ann. I think you're thinking of something else, but that's actually no, a cool no, no. story, No, no, so they... Yeah, start, we start with the Cedars, and then we go to Fort Ann. Yeah, it's, uh, so they're all falling back, and I'll edit some of that out, by the way. No, just keep it in. All right. I don't care. Let them hear us not knowing what we're doing. For they a don't know either. We're that's teaching That's why them. you're listening. Yeah, yeah, you're here to learn. And we're learning as we go. We, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this one, it's still running long, but I feel like we've been a little more concise. Dude, we got Quebec, we got Montreal, we got them up there, now we're getting them back. I don't know if we're going to get to Valcour Island, which that's, is like my favorite ooh, part of the yeah. story. Guys, the next, the next bit's pretty cool. Um, so... You know, all these guys are retreating, and the British run into around 400 Americans under a guy named Butterfield at a place called the Cedars, and this dude just loses his shit immediately. I don't like the sound of any of that. Butterfield at the Cedars. I just don't, like, it just sounds like a, a boring time. It, it would have been boring, except the British captured 400 men, and Benedict Arnold hastily scraped together a ton of dudes and confronted them. And basically, the uh, British threatened to scalp every... They, they had a bunch of uh, sort of like Native American auxiliaries with them. And they were saying, yeah, um, keep fucking around with us, and I'm just going to let all these natives scalp every single one of those Americans... That was at Fort Ann, because they had they got him at the Cedars and they brought him to Fort Ann. Like, oh yeah, yeah. No, he surrenders at the Cedars and then they go to Fort Ann, and now this is. And where then the talking. British are holed up in Fort Ann, and the Americans on the outside. Boom. We're back in sync. Throw, yeah, Boom. hell yeah. yeah. Just, we just fizz bumped. Yeah, you, know, you can't. Guys can't see that. We should have high five for something you could hear. <laughs> Didn't we want to clip the mic. That oh, that was a horrible. There we go. That was a oh, there we go. Clip the shit out of that. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't looking on the first one. But uh, it, it was kind of fun. So the British are threatening to let the natives scalp uh, all the Americans. And Ben is like, okay, go ahead and do that. But just know that these guys with me, we're just going to go in and we're going to kill all of you. Like, we're not going to take any prisoners. You guys do that and it's on. Like, I will just personally kill you. So that didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't happen. Nope, that guy was like, okay, well, shit. We're going to keep this fort we just got. And, uh, you know, you guys just keep going, but you take your guys, send us some of our guys, and uh, we're just... Well, yeah, because the British no were... going to scalp anybody. The, the, the Americans were moving south, the British were coming from the north to the south, then um, the guy, I think his name was Sol Sullivan, um, he was the guy that was leading... Yeah, Major General John Sullivan. Yeah, so Sullivan's like, listen, we'll just, like, back up a little bit, here's your guys, give us our guys... We'll back up. We'll give you like a little bit of a head start. You can keep retreating because we're gonna start chasing the fuck out of you after we get our guys back. But we'll like back up to a safer position, and let you go. So it's kind of like 
Yeah, that's sort of fair trade. Like, you don't really get that in war now, but no. back I mean, then they kind of had these even-steven, let's parlay for a minute. And it was a lot of guys, too. It was like a few hundred guys on each side. Yep. Um, so that's kind of impressive, and I mean, it's impressive that Ben, with his busted-up leg, was, like, able not only to, like... Limping around, screaming, yeah, I mean, and kill a bunch of British you know, people. gotta give him credit there, for sure. There, there are definitely, like, a lot of things that happen, a lot of smaller things, where it's like, he did the... He was... He, like, he was still aggressive in that, in that moment, but he also knew, like, they had the upper hand. I mean, it's, I guess it's just lucky that he was, like aggressive at the right moment because he's always aggressive all yeah, the time that's like, kind of his thing and i think you know it worked against him in quebec but uh you know in other places it'll serve down when, the line it serves him better yeah yeah when he when everything's in his favor for it to work out so speaking of that guy john sullivan he gets put in charge <clears throat> of the canada retreat, campaign like the retreat like the chase they hadn't really considered it a retreat yet ben was sort of telling him no we just need to give up this is a wash well because they still in montreal but sullivan point, right? actually tries to fight the british and he just suffers like a big defeat no and sullivan is um the british guy right uh major general john sullivan was dispatched to oversee the canada campaign Despite Ben's warning, Sullivan attacked the British. Oh, right, okay. Sustaining 400 casualties. So, hey, all those guys that he just traded for, uh, <laughs> you know, he just got them killed right away. <laughs> Whoops. And uh, so then he later took Ben's advice and tried to lay all of the blame for this disastrous kind of crazy retreat on Ben. Right. You know, and it's... It's like moments like that and that guy Butterfield where it was like, no wonder Ben looked so good because these other guys are such fucking morons and they're so bad at their jobs. It's like, no wonder Ben looked like even remotely good because, you know, you had all these guys that didn't know what they were doing, were always giving up. And then, the, but the, the, the sad thing is then they'd go and try to blame it on him. But it's like, Ben wasn't that great. Well, I think just, it was I sort think of the like the bar was just really, really it's low. It's like you remember Scrappy Doo from Scooby Doo. Yeah, Scrappy was Scooby Doo's oh, like little cousin you. or little brother or something. He's always yeah. going, "Let me at him! Let me at him!" And he's trying to fight all the monsters okay. every fucking time, and okay. it's always a disaster. And I think that's that's Ben. Ben's Scrappy Doo. So, and he just needed. Scooby to kind of like reach over, pick him up, and like turn him around. Just while he's kicking and, and yeah, while he's kicking and trying to fight. Fist. Yeah, it's. I mean, he has a time and a place. He's a really aggressive, hard fighting general, and soldiers kind of like that. But problem is, yeah, this guy can't be in charge of anything. No, because he's just a crazy gambler. He's gonna just waste his forces into the enemy. Yeah, I really, I really don't think that he like necessarily valued the his his position or his soldiers' lives necessarily. Like, I don't think that he had a lot of, like, necessarily a lot of empathy or sympathy exactly. for the people in his company. Like, I think he was just thinking, let's fucking do this. Let's do or this. maybe, I mean, he did take care of his men, but... He did, but he did it in a I way... I just don't think he was smart enough. He didn't realize that it's like, you can't just attack. You can't just be aggressive and crazy. It's... It's a whole chess Yeah, thing. not everyone has this sort of, like, insane death wish, 
slash, you know, desire to be this great person that you do, Benedict Arnold. You know, yeah, that's, it's that's, not a video game where if you fuck up doing some crazy move, you can just re You know, these are human lives. Because well, he was like, I want to be a hero in this war. I want to. I want to rise the ranks. I want to fucking do this shit. And he thought. I think he really. I think he really, really did think that everybody shared that same like gung ho attitude that he did. And it was like, no, these people have like families at home. Like they, these got. They've got lives to lead to live. Like these. These. These people don't all want to be like the next George Washington. You know what I mean? Ever, these were just farmers and other people that were just like, we just want to go back and survive and then be able to see our family and our wife and kids and our, and our parents and our brothers. But he didn't have any of that. He had kids. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, he just had Hannah and a couple of kids that he's constantly ditching. His wife died, was already dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Poor Peggy Sanchez. Did we? Um, we did Peggy mention. Sanchez? Yeah. <laughs> um... But that was last episode, right? Yeah, we mentioned them getting married yeah. and how she didn't write him. That was like the first episode, wasn't it? Yeah, that was way back there. I don't even remember. But she's yeah, dead. Peggy Mansfield. She Peggy dies. Mansfield. His father-in-law dies. So he's this got... This is a bad time. He's got three... All around. He's got three kids. He's got... A, and he's got a sister. Three kids that he never sees. His sister who's running his business for him while he's out doing all this shit. Like, he doesn't have that sort of like... He, I think he sees himself as this person that's just on his own, trying to be a big hero. And he thinks that everyone else is like, yeah, we're all going to do that too, let's do it. And it's like, no, not all your soldiers want to go in and be war heroes. Most of them just want to not die. Well, even then, his whole plan for attacking Quebec was stupid, impetuous, like, what? Don't be, don't go in with like 20 other dudes and try to take a, a fort city, fortress city that has like a thousand British soldiers, a thousand plus British soldiers is waiting for you. Yeah, what an idiot. So it's, <laughs> this is actually, this is like a bad time for America in general. Like the British have sort of wised up, um, you know, the war is becoming very real and by the day they're going to increase their efforts. Hmm. And it hasn't quite ramped up all the way. You know, they haven't really shifted into war mode just yet. But they're getting there. And they're sending what they have available. And, you know... Yeah, I mean, the British have to come... Have to make their way across the fucking ocean to send yeah. all their guys over. So, I mean, there's big, big-ass boats <laughs> with a lot of dudes yeah, coming on, on the way. way. Yeah. And they've all... They're all sort of already outnumbering the Americans... And especially in Canada, where they're just running them out of Canada right now. Yeah, it, it, it's turned from a retreat to a bit of a rout. Uh, Montreal is abandoned, and um, really the American forces don't calcify into like a cohesive defense mm -hmm. until they get to about Fort Ticonderoga. Yeah, they go back a lot of. That's like the main plan is to like, all right, we all gotta just get our asses back to Ticonderoga. Which, I mean, you know, at least he was sort of justified in saying, hey, let's take and keep that fort. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he, I think, um, and I think we'll probably end before we get to Valcor. Like, that's where oh, we'll start next yeah. time. But, um, um, you know, that's the thing with Ben. It's like, he's got a lot. He's a man of many contradictions. And, obviously, the main contradiction, the overarching contradiction 
is we know where this story is going, that eventually he's going to be a traitor. But before that, he was considered a war hero, and he was one of the first people that was really trying his ass off to be a hero and to, like, win this war. And he had a lot of great ideas. And he, but at the same time, there's a smaller contradiction where it's like, all right, you want to be a great leader, but you actually act like a jackass way too much to be a great leader. And it's just like, I want to like the guy. Like, I want to, I do, like, I do want to like him because I think he's like a really, he, he seems like a real person to me. I can see him, but I also agree with nothing that he does or any of the ways that he carries himself. Well, in the next step, you know, the, the stage is set for the next episode. They've just been chased out of Canada. They're digging they got, in by Ticonderoga. They got to get across Lake Champlain. To yeah. get to Ticonderoga. So, with the know, British hot on their asses. Well, they get across the lake, all right. But the British, no, they're on the lake. Well, the they're Americans are on the lake. lake at Fort Ticonderoga. Well, Ben's not there yet. Ben is now there. We're skipping him walking through the woods to get there. He's just, he's there. They no. fall back from Montreal and he's there. Yeah, but he's that's where Valcor Island, the Battle of Valcor Island takes place. Is on Lake yeah, Champlain. but he's already at Ticonderoga when the battle starts. And then he goes back up. Yeah, they mass their forces at the fort, and then they sail oh, to up. stop people. They from... don't start off by the British at the top and then sail that. I mean, they do, but that's not where he preps all his ships for the fight. I'm confused. We'll, I'm we'll figure edit, it out. I'm actually going to edit that out. <laughs> so this is a. Uh, <clears throat> we'll jump back into it. The Americans, after retreating from Canada, are now dug in around Fort Ticonderoga, and the British are hot on their heels. The British, having marched through the Canadian wilderness, you know, they're looking to be resupplied. They're looking to sort of, like, key up their, uh, their armaments and their supplies so that they can now move down into, you know, the colonies. Oh, get back to Albany. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, the Americans are... Building ships. You know, the, the British are about to fight them for control of Ticonderoga and Lake Champlain. And we've got a badass naval confrontation for our next episode. Alright. Nice. Hey, nice. We, I feel like we got through more than I thought we would get through. Or that we were even capable of getting through. I know, I know. We, like, kind of pulled into the start of the next episode. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I wanted to get Valcor Island because it's badass. It's cool. super cool. Mike loves this one. Um, it, it is. It's a it's a wild naval battle. Guys. To me, it's really cool. It's like the one time where Ben's reckless sort of nature was like used for good. Yeah, this is actually um, this is going to be the first time that he really gets some international acclaim. For his prowess as a commander and a soldier. Yeah, and it's because he's got a big-ass boat around him and not and it's not just him <laughs> riding on a horse without, like, there's nothing protecting him. Or marching through the snow, I mean, carrying a little brass cannon up to a wall. Oh, hey, guys. Yeah, honestly, if, it was, if he didn't wasn't in the boat, he probably would have gotten blown to shit. Oh, yeah. This. But, you know, he had a bunch of, he had a big boat to take a bunch of cannon fire for him, so he was cool. No, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Next time we'll start off with Valcor, the Battle of Valcor Island. But yeah, guys, I mean, this is pretty cool. I, I'll be honest, man, I had no idea we had ever invaded Canada. 
Yeah, I didn't. Um, I feel like we should try it again. I'm just, I'm just saying though, like not, realistically, not even joking. We almost had Canada as part of the well, United States. Oh, we almost had part of Canada. I'm just to what, say we would have had the rest of Canada. Canada's well, who's going to stop us? I don't know. Will we have Vancouver right now? Yeah. Vancouver might not even exist. Toronto might not even exist. It'd just be Van America. Toronto America. The Toronto Raptors, that'd be an American team. It'd be a lot better. No. Actually, aren't they doing well right now? The I don't Raptors? know sports. They're okay. They I have mean, my favorite mascot. It's a Velociraptor it's a dribbling a basketball. Well, we beat them. The Cavs beat them in the, in the playoffs, but... I mean, they made it to the playoffs, so... Yeah. I think. If that's not true, edit that out. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not sports people. I'm not a we, huge sports We like guy. watching sports sometimes. I like watching sports, but I just... I don't give a fuck. Like, I like <laughs> watching them. Like, I like watching the actual games. I'm like... I like competition. I like watching people compete. I like Dude, watching people perform. Dude, we almost had the best hockey teams. Um, we could have had Wayne Gretzky. He Wayne Gretzky American. played for the fucking... Los Angeles Kings, so we did, oh, did have him. Yeah. I thought I mean, he was a Canadian guy. Well, he is, but... You know, well, he, he would have been an American Ameri- guy, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but he played for an American team. But he would have had the American flag draped around his shoulders while he's doing some little ice skate twirls. I mean, I guess that's that, true. Hitting that puck. That's true, I guess. Yeah, he would have been American. Trailer Park Boys would be American. Whatever, and we beat the Russians in 1984, and that's or 1980, and that's all I care about. Americans got good hockey players. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they do. They do. Now, it would have been, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I don't think, I think that America already has way too much space. That's already, true. That would just be like one other group of people for everyone to disagree. For everyone that hate each other. You know, it's like, and then we're going to have French people but living in I feel America. Like the Canadians How would is be, that going to work? It would be like more niceness, though. They seem like a nice people. I think they're nice because they don't aren't Americans. <laughs> Maybe that's it. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to go outside and keep talking about Canada. Um, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, I, I, if there are people that are listening to this, you are amazing. I, I, I don't even we understand it. Because I... I can't even listen to this because I can't listen to the sound of my own voice. He so can. give an extra listen for me. That would be amazing. But I mean, it, 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 I, I didn't even think that people are listening to this. It's just to me, it's just well, me and you. We've talking. got like four people listening. Uh, well, not right now, but our first episode is up on SoundCloud. I'm sure there's people listening in right now. We're com- we're hooked up to a computer. The government's always listening, man. They're always listening. And we are about to witness the birth of the So guys, uh, yeah, cool stuff coming around the bend. Uh, we're still figuring this out as we go. I'm not sure how quickly.